Today we begin the final installment of our sermon series, For the Love of Money. And as you guys know, I like to start my sermons with a story. Um, but today what we're going to do is we're going to walk through an entire story in the Bible. And based off of that story, I pray that, that God is going to be able to teach you. God's going to be able to reveal himself to you, to the word. But let me pray right quick. Father God, we thank you so much for what you're doing today. Lord, we thank you for our city. God, we thank you for the AWC Nation. Lord, we thank you that Ambassadors Worship Center is AWC. WC strong. Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit, who you call the paraclete, the one that pulls us together. God, we ask right now in this moment that you would call the sons of God to one another. God, call our hearts together. Call our minds together. But Lord, that you would get the glory. God, today we acknowledge you as God. God, today we acknowledge you as king. You are the ruler. You are the creator. You are the maker. So we acknowledge you as such. You know, if you're ready for the word, let me get some hearts. Let me get some likes. I see you. And we're going to get started this morning. So extremely excited. Um, growing up, uh, my mom used to have story time with me and my sister. As you can imagine, um, having two kids at home, um, we, we were very rambunctious. Um, as you can tell, I have the gift of gab, but before it was the gift of lag, meaning that my brain wouldn't keep up with my mouth, so my mouth would just talk. So my mom, at the end of the day, um, my parents would try to figure out, like, how can we get them to like start to wind down towards the end of the day. So my mom and my dad, they started to read books to me and my sister in hopes. Can somebody say in hopes? Because you know, if you have children, it doesn't always work, right? Like you have a routine, but sometimes they just decide to be buck wild. But they started to start this routine where they would begin to read to us before we went to bed. And they thought that the softer that they talked, the softer our spirits would be. I don't have a recollection of that time, but if you know children, sometimes their, their, their emotions are all over the place. But my mom had a whole bunch of different books that she loved to read to us. And most of the books that she would read to us were based off of principles of life lessons that she was hoping that we would be able to grab hold of while listening to the story. And one of those was the story of the Little Red Hen. Do any of you guys know that story? Well, let, let me break it down to you in, in a nutshell. So the Little Red Hen is a story of perseverance. It's a story of forgiveness. But it's also a story of selfishness. It's a story of greed, and we never talk about that. Everybody praises the little red hen for being diligent, for doing her work, and for eating the bread and making the bread. But we never talk about the fact that when she had the ability to make the bread, she also had the ability to be generous and share. So let me tell you the story. Long story short, there are these animals on a farm. There's a, there's a chicken, there's a dog, there's a cow, and there's a uh, and there, and there, chicken dog. Yeah, chicken dog, a cow, and a mouse. Basically, throughout the entire story, the chicken takes it upon herself to plant some seed, and when she asks for help from these other animals, all of them say, not I. So she says, well, who's going to help me plant the seed? Not I, said the pig. Not I, said the cow. Not I, said the dog. She says, all right, bet, I'll do it myself. Then when she gets the grain, she says, okay, now who's going to help me grind this, uh, grind this harvest so that we can make meal or flour? And uh, she asks all the animals again, and the pig says, no, not, not me. The dog says, no, not me. The duck says, no, not me. So she says, all right, bet, I'll do it myself. So then she comes back outside. She says, okay, so who's going to help me? Who's going to help me sweep the kitchen? Then she comes back and she asks, who's going to help me prepare the bread? Then by the end of the story, she asks a very pertinent question. Remember, before this time, she's asked for help and nobody's wanted to help her prepare. But her final question is this. She says, so who's going to help me eat it? And now, seven other times in the book, the dog, the pig, the cow, the chicken, I mean, I'm sorry, the dog, the pig, the cow, and the mouse, they've all said not I, meaning that I don't want to put in, I don't want to put into this process. But as soon as it comes time to actually take part in what the manifestation is, which is called bread, now I want to sit at the table. But this is the funny thing. The hen gets so frustrated with them that she allows them to keep talking, even though she's already made up in her mind that they're not going to partake. Oh my God, it's going to be so good. This is so good to me this morning at three. I pray that it's good wherever you are. The thing about this story is that we all think that the hen is righteous in eating the bread that she picked, that she mealed down, that she, that, that, that she made into the bread, and that she gets to eat it. In a lot of our lives, we believe I did the work. Nobody came to help me. Nobody came to, uh, to, to help me prepare. Nobody gave me anything to start with. So therefore, I'm just going to consume this by myself. But I want you to write this word down. I'm sorry, I want you to write this line down. Bread that isn't shared goes stale earlier. Oh my God. So the funny thing about the story is that the red hen thinks that she's doing good by not sharing because she's in her feelings. But the thing is they couldn't help because they didn't know how. 
The reason why the little red hen was given the opportunity to make the bread is because she was the one given the anointing to do so. I know that I'm, pr I'm pouring a little bit of spiritual stuff on a children's story, but I want to make sure that you understand something. In every single opportunity that you are, I'm sorry, in every single situation that you are given more than enough, you are given the opportunity to share. I, I want to make sure that you understand this. This is not something in the Word where God says you must share, you must give. No, what God understands is that is in Genesis when we were created, he gave us free will. When you have free will, you have to have buy-in. So that means whenever you're given more than enough, you have to do something. It's called make a choice to share. Generosity is not something that's literally in our DNA. Generosity does not come inherent to the human man. If you find 10 apples, even if you've got nine friends and you know you only need one, you're going to do anything and everything in your power to slice those apples, freeze those apples, and put them in your freezer for your consumption. But what we understand in the kingdom of God and in this series called For the Love of Money is that it's not the love of money, but it's the things that I love that I can apply my money to. There are some people, there are some opportunities that you have too much bread for yourself. Why would you keep the bread? Oh my God. Why would you keep the bread in your refrigerator? Why would you keep the bread in your cupboard when you know you only need two slices a day and God gave you 200 slices? There is somebody that needs a piece of bread, but will you turn them away because of how, you, how, they, how they treat you before? Or are you going to be the first manifestation of God in their life by saying, I don't care what happened to you. I don't care how you treated me. I'm going to give you bread. Think about it. Jesus did it for you. People literally spit in his face when he was at the crucifixion. The man that stabbed him in the side that thought that was going to be the, I'm hollering. The man that stabbed him in his side that thought that that was going to be the end of him. Even Jesus looked at him and said, may you live forever. I want you to understand something. When you give, it's not, con it's, 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 it's not connected to how you feel. When you're generous, it has nothing to do with what you think. It's the principle of understanding. If I keep giving, God will always supply. So my question today of what I'm hoping to break down through the word of God is that you understand it doesn't matter how you're treated. If you're given something, your prerogative is to make the choice to give. Come on, somebody type that out. I'm making the choice today. I'm making the choice to give. So just like the story, oh, I'm, I'm getting so excited. I don't know why, but this is so much fun. Just like in the story of the little red hen, I honestly believe that every single nursery rhyme, they literally like went against copyright and stole it from the Bible. Think about it. Any story that you look at, you can find the origins of it in the Bible. The Lion King, you got the prodigal son. Son that runs away because he thinks he's not good enough and then he comes back, he's reinstated and he's made king. Ruth, you have Rapunzel who's up, in a, who's, who's up in a tower who thinks that she's supposed to be locked away forever. Ruth thinks that she's supposed to be by herself forever, but then she becomes the, the liberation for an entire nation. Like the people have been biting off of the word of God for thousands of years. But today, what I'm going to talk to you about is the little red hen effect. Here we go. What we're going to do is we're gonna take that nursery rhyme and we're going to instate it in the word of God where it originated. This is not a story that some people sat around and they thought it'd be great to talk about some farm animals. No, 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 no. They, 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 they bit it from the word of God. So today what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do my best to unbox the story of Joseph in a way that I, I think you might have seen it, but your spirit is going to show, I'm sorry, the word of God is going to show that your feelings should never be connected to your hand. That what you supply, how you give, how you do it, the only way that you do it joyously is when it's not connected to your emotions. Uh, have you ever been in a relationship or been in a situation or a friendship where the person that was giving to you or the person that was supplying you, it, de it always depended on how they felt? It depended on what was the last thing you said to them. You had to butter them up three days before because you knew rent was a week away. So you knew if you wanted that extra $20 to add, come on, don't, don't, don't cap on me this morning. You knew you had to butter them up to get what you wanted because you know, if I need to get what I want from them, I got to make sure that we're in a good place. I want you to understand with God, he understands principle more than your emotions. God understands your heart's posture rather than the words that come out of your mouth sometimes. So it's very important that our posture is correct. So right now, what we're going to do through the word, is we're going to disconnect our emotions from our hands. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to join me in Genesis 37, 3 through 10. I'm coming from the, uh, the NIV version this morning. So here we go. I'm going to tell you the story of Joseph in a very contained, uh, a very, very contained story, and then we'll move forward, and hopefully God will, will, will be able to, to meet you where you are. So here we go. We're going from the third verse. And it says, underline this. Now Israel, this is Joseph's father, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in an old age and he made an ornate robe for him. 
When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than the others, they hated him and could not speak too kind words about him. Verse 5. So Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Let's jump to verse 7. This is what his dream, this is, what his dream is. He says, we were, we, were, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down, and bowed down to it. His, his brothers, verse 8, said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Then go to verse 9. Then he had another dream. This is Joseph. And he told it to his brothers. He said, listen, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well, his brothers, his father rebuked him. The man that said, I love you above all of your other brothers, the one that just gave him a coat, the one that called him a name. In the Hebrew, they take the word of God and they stretch it out. In between this time when, 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 uh, when Joseph gets his coat and he tells the dream, there's 12 years of him having dreams. The Bible only talks about two of them. So that means for 12 years, Joseph is saying, hey, I had another dream. 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 And all the while, while he's telling him about these dreams, it seems as if his brothers and his father are becoming more and more frustrated with what they think he sees. But he's not seeing what he sees. He's seeing what God is showing him. I'm going to prove it to you in a second. Oh, my goodness. Listen to this. Verse 10. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father did what? rebuked him. Verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. What I want to make sure that you understand today is my first point, is that you've been robed with favor. I want you to understand something, that the minute that you stepped from where you are living now into being in Christ's life, into being into this new kingdom life, into this thing that says, you know what, God, I am not my own. I take you as my own. The minute you crossed over into that life, it's almost as if God took a robe of salvation. God took a robe of glory and he took a robe of favor and he put it over your shoulders. Now, the funny thing about this robe is that this robe looks nicer than everybody else's. But the problem is, is that people are trying to figure out how do I get the robe rather than going through the steps that you went through to get it. Let me prove it to you. So listen to this. God, God is looking for someone to reveal himself to. Listen, do not miss it. God is looking for someone to reveal his plans to, his ways, and his strategy because the robe comes with distinguishment. Distinguishment comes with scrutiny. And scrutiny comes with hostility. What I want you to understand, if we're going to be living in a time for the love of money, when God blesses you, it's going to distinguish you. It's going to take you from a bunch, and it's going to put you either in the middle and bigger or outside of them and brighter. The minute that you accepted God into your life, the minute that you joined AWC, the minute you started serving, the minute you found somebody else in this church to watch as an example, you became distinguished. The minute you become distinguished, you become scrutinized. That's when all the questions come. That's when people think you're better than us. No, I don't think I'm better than you, but I'm on the track to getting there, but you can come with me, right? So it's this thing of, I'm not better than you because of who I am. I'm better than you because there's this thing that's on me that I can't get off. I didn't put it on me. It's, it's just here. Then after scrutiny comes hostility. Once people don't understand something and they know that they can't fix it and they can't do anything to change it, then they begin to throw rocks. Then they begin to throw snares. It's because of the fact that jealousy is the biggest root when it comes to money because people think that if you have it, they can't have it for themselves. Remember what I talked about before. Our job isn't just to give out of how we feel. Our job is to give so that we can prove to people that if I have it, you can have it and so much more. Let me move on. I, I, I don't see no hearts. I don't, I don't see no light. Okay, I, I see y'all. All right, we in here. I just want to make sure because usually y'all in here going nuts so I know, you know how, how it's going. Anyway, Joseph's father ends up sending him to go check on his brothers. As you can imagine, right, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, they stretch out that time. It's not just two dreams, he has like 12 or 15. So one day, Joseph's brothers go out to work in a field. Joseph's father, Israel, says, you know what? Okay, I need you to go check on your brothers. Israel says, I'm, I'm sorry, Joseph says, all right, bet, you know, I'm the youngest, I'm the favored one, yeah, who else is gonna bring my brother's bread while they're working? Like, who else is gonna feed? Like, I, I gotta feed them, I'm not big enough I'm not big enough to do the work of the strong men, so I'll do the job of making sure that, that they're hungry, which basically means that whatever job that God gives you in the kingdom, it's good enough for you. 
Like, why would you try to pull the ox plow when you're a duck? Your job is to stay in the pond. Like, God has fashioned you for anything and everything that he needs you to do. But that, that's another story for another day. Somebody type that out. Like, that's a conversation you ain't ready to have. So let's move on. So Joseph goes to see his brothers. His brothers say that this is an opportune moment for us to do what we've always wanted to do. We hate this guy. The word of God only says that he says two dreams, but there's like 15. For 12 years, this man has been talking to us about how he's going to be better than us, has been talking to us about how we're going to come to him as a supplier. You know what? We're just going to sell him into slavery. So they end up doing so. They sell him into slavery for 20 lumps of silver. I want you to underline 20 lumps of silver because what they sold him for is the amount of grain that he ends up blessing them with at the end of the story. Oh my God. So the brothers destroy Joseph's robe. They rip it up. They present it to their father and they say, hey, uh, he came to give us some food, but he never made it. He got eaten by wolves and bears and lions. And what happens is, is that they believe that they are going to be selling Joseph into slavery. But what they ended up doing was they ended up selling Joseph to a group of men who were sent by Pharaoh to go into each and every tribe and buy the smartest, the smartest, most resourceful, most blessed and honored person among their gods. So even people that think that they're setting you up for danger are actually only setting you up for the purpose of God. What I want to make sure that you understand today, the little red hen wasn't blessed because she was able to make bread. Her blessing was held up because she didn't have the ability to share. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's go to Genesis 39, 2 through 6. Two through six. So the Lord was with Joseph. Underline this because this is said 40 times in this story. The Lord was what? With Joseph. No, the Lord didn't precede Joseph. The Lord wasn't behind Joseph. The Lord wasn't above him. No, but as Joseph took steps, even in bondage, oh my God, even in bondage, it says that the Lord was literally with him, that as he took his steps, God was in lockstep with him. I want you to understand, yes, we understand that the, that the love of money is wrong, but if you have a love for something else, God has to give you provision, and his provision isn't always monetary. Sometimes his provision is being that push in your back to take the next step. Let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. I'm getting a little bit too hyped for nobody being in the room. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry because this is the word of God. This is the most hyped part of my day. Listen to this. The Lord was what? With Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. What we have to understand is that when Joseph was sold into slavery, he was actually sold to the man that was the captain of the guard, basically meaning this. Whoever the president is, you know, the right hand of the government, like the executive branch, the one that houses our army, our military, like the strong arm, Joseph got sold into that branch. He wasn't sold into slavery to, beat, to make big rocks into medium rocks, medium rocks into small rocks, small rocks into little rocks, and little rocks into dust. No, he was sold into the second position of the house of Pharaoh. And when he got there, Potiphar realized you're not like every other slave. You're, 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 you're smarter. Like You have more resources. You have more ability to do with what I've got more than, than I can. So instead of being a slave, what does the word of God say? Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. But realize, Joseph, found eye, Joseph was found favorable in God's eyes before man's. If we are looking to become favorable in the eyes of man before God, you are out of order. Remember, the word prosper is only connected to when God is with him, not when Potiphar sees him. Let's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I promise. I promise. I promise. I promise. Verse 5. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of who? Joseph. People will put you in position and think that it's because they put you in position that, that it's working out. No, 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 no. You didn't put me in position because I've been prosperous since the man has been walking with me. God doesn't live in time. That's why that position that you want to be in, God's already there. But he's able to be there in the corner office and walking with you at the same time. So it's not because you gave me the raise. It's not because you gave me the promotion. It's because God is with me. Okay, let me, let, let me calm down. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and where? In his field. How can there be a blessing in the field if Joseph hasn't even been there yet? 
The word of God says that he's going to give you the harvest of fields that you didn't even plant. It's literally... It's right here. Joseph hasn't seen the, he's in the storehouse. He's making sure the armory is making an account of. He's making sure that the grain that comes in makes sense. He hasn't even been to the field. But because of the God's blessing and God's favor, the robe that's on him, he, he's able to reap harvest in places that he's not even toiling in. Because the funny thing about it is that when you got captured by the Egyptians, what they did is they cut your hair. They gave you their Egyptian markings. They made sure that, that you had to be, have darker skin so you spent time in the sun. So they had to have taken his robe off. Remember, his robe was destroyed, but I want to make sure that you understand something. The physical robe that his father put on him was symbolic, but the robe never came off from the beginning of the story. It's a spiritual thing that no man can take off of you. But when you deny God what is his, you literally take the robe of favor off your life. Let, let's... Let's, I don't have much time. Let me, let me move on. Verse 6, underline this. Verse 6, underline this. So Potiphar left what? Everything he had in Joseph's care. What we think that is is just his resources. No, no, no. Potiphar left his wife, his children, and the nation. I want you to understand. Potiphar is that person that's sitting at Capitol Hill right now with the little red button on his desk. That's who Potiphar was. Potiphar trusted Joseph, a slave, so much that he left him in the room, the Oval Office, where every single button in the world was. He left him there to manage it. When you're, when you, when you're, when you're a supervisor, young people, when your parents leave the house, they're not just leaving you there and just dumping something on you. You need to see it as an opportunity that they trust me to be the captain of this boat for the moment. Here we go. Let me prove it to you. Number six. So Potiphar left everything, not a little bit, not some pieces. There were no locked doors in the palace to Joseph. Like every door was open to him as a slave. He, everything was in his care. With Joseph in charge, he had no concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Number two, the point is that the Lord is with you. I, I, I want you to understand everything that we read. You would say, like, man, Joseph was really smart. Man, Potiphar really loved him. But no, the point of the matter is that anything and everything that's provisional, that comes to you, that you couldn't provide for yourself, it wasn't because your supervisor liked the numbers that you were bringing in. It's not because your boss saw that you made the quota. No, 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 no. It's because God is with you and he's providing for himself by giving to you. The only way that God gets glorified is if his children are doing bigger and better. As a parent, you don't say that you're a great dad or a great mom by buying a house and you ain't got no kids. No, no, no. What makes the house great, what makes the car great, what makes your dinner table great is when it's filled with people that are your offspring that are being taken care of. I want you to understand God being with you isn't just for the simple fact of walking with you. No, no. It's for him to supply to you what you need so that when you get to the end of your road, he gets the glory. You want proof. I hear you. I hear you. I, I feel you. you. You pulling on my soul. I hear you. Uh, um, later on in this story, remember how I told you, Joseph is in charge of everything in Potiphar's life. When we read this story, Pastor, people think that Joseph just randomly ran into Potiphar's wife. No. What you have to understand is that Joseph had to have had multiple like conversations with this woman. Like in the Egyptian era, women in the Egyptian era, they had power. Like <laughs> you read stories about the Grecians, you read stories about the British, you read stories about the Spanish. None of their women had power. All their women had to sit and like just look pretty. But in the Egyptian area, right, Potiphar's the head, but his wife, she's the neck, and she can make it go wherever she wants to go. So there had to have been conversations between Joseph and the woman. But one day, somebody type out one day. One day, she looked at him, and what, jo and what her husband had seen on Joseph, she now gets a glimpse of. Before, she thought that it was just him being a great guy. But Potiphar saw that, man, this guy has something on him that like, I can't recreate, so I need, to, I need to figure this out. Once she figures out that there's something on him that she can't take off of him and she's trying to figure it out, she becomes lustful. What happens when you get the money and you forget where it comes from? You fall in, you fall in love with the bag because it's attractive and it lets you buy stuff and it smells good. But if you forget the string that it's attached to, you'll fall in love with the bag rather than the person that supplied it. So what happens? Joseph is approached by Potiphar's wife two times. She asks him to sleep with her. And the entire time, Joseph is like, okay, why would I sleep with you when I'm literally the third-hand man to the country? Like, what am I going to lose 
by 30 minutes to 45 minutes to an hour with you. So I'm going to give up this robe of favor that God gave to me for a little bit of fun. What have you spent your money on and removed the robe of favor on your life? The bread that God gave you wasn't for rent. The bread was for you to start the business. You already got the book written. You just need to go get the ebook training. No, no, no. But you spent the money on a new ring for your wife, or you spent the money on a new pair of shoes, or you just took the money and saved it. The word of God also says that if you hide your money, that's just as bad as spending it. Remember the man with the talents? Who was the one that got cursed and got everything that he had taken away? The one that went and saved it. Saving doesn't help people. There are millions, there, I mean, there, there, are, there are hundreds of thousands of storage units here in the United States full of food, full of masks, full of hand sanitizer, but nobody can get to it because people are being selfish. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me get back. Let me get back. Let me get back. So then she approaches Joseph. Joseph denies her two times. And when he denies her, it says in the word that the minute that he denies her, he runs to Potiphar. He doesn't. He doesn't deny her and try to communicate with her. He, like, that's our problem as Christians. We begin to communicate with sin rather than running to our provision. I can beat pornography. I can beat being alcoholic. I can beat doing all these drugs. And you begin to communicate with the needle. You begin to communicate with the joint or the glass or the woman that you shouldn't be with or the man that you shouldn't be with instead of running to your provision. But listen to this. Genesis 39, 19, 23. Is this good? I hope it is because it's good to me. I'm starting to sweat, so I know it's good. <laughs> Verse 19. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how our slave treated me. What he does is he ends up taking Joseph to jail. Now, remember, the brothers thought that when they sold Joseph, that was going to be where he was supposed to be. But God ended up making it so that God placed him in jail. So I want you to understand, if you are in sickness, if you're in jail, if you're in an anxious or a depressive state, instead of thinking that that's something that was just given to you, know that God has placed you in a situation that he's going to use for his glory. Like, what the brothers thought was going to be the demise of Joseph, which was jail, God placed him in jail so that people would pass over him so he could talk to him privately. Wow. Joseph goes to jail so that he can be reminded of what his assignment was. Because if you're living in Potiphar's house, if you're living in Pharaoh's house for long enough, you'll fall in love with Pharaoh. So what I got to do is I got to put you in jail to remind you of who is, who's actually supplying you this bag. Listen to this. It's verse 21. The Lord was what? With him. Let, let, let me go back for those of you that, that might not be following. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the what? Kings, prisoners confined. So Joseph doesn't even go to regular jail. Joseph is a slave and he doesn't even go to slave jail. He goes to the, to the jail of the king's prisoners. Who goes to king's prisoners? Who, who goes to king's prison? Other kings. Like, I want you to eat this word. Who goes to the king's prison? It's not a peasant. It's not somebody with money. They send him to a place where all these captured kings, where they've been in war, they don't kill the king. You don't behead the king. You take that man, you put him in a cell, and you make them pay you. And where do they put Joseph? Now Joseph is in a room of influence, not just for Egypt, but the entire nation. My next point is this. We are granted keys in captivity. Listen to this. Verse 21. The Lord was what? With him. There it is again. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. What? So the warden put Joseph in what? In charge of what? All of those held in the prison. And he was made what? Responsible for all that was done there. So wait a minute. First, I was in Potiphar's house. I was taking care of everything in Egypt. Now, your wife is tripping trying to get some. I ain't with it. Now you're going to throw me in jail, but not just any jail. You're going to throw me in jail with men that still have their crowns on. You're, you're going to throw me in jail with the ambassador to, to, to Saudi Arabia and the ambassador to Kenya and the ambassador and the king of Uganda and the king of Great Britain. Like, like, like they're all here. Like Queen Elizabeth is sitting here in a jail cell. So if it's a jail cell, that means that it's a little bit different. It's not dingy. It's not, it's not dingy. It's, it's, it's not watery. It's not cold. There's, they're probably serving filet mignon. So you're going to put me in charge of kings and queens in jail. Look at your neighbor. Look at the person next to you. Look to your dog or your cat and say, I don't think they knew what they were doing. 
They didn't know that this boy still had a robe on him. They might have stripped him of all of his clothes and beaten him, but he still had this thing on that was called God's favor. Oh, I'm going to make this sing. Oh, this is so good. So listen to this. When the guards saw that Joseph had an uncanny ability, he gave him keys to the place that was supposed to confine him. He literally, Joseph was able to take care of all the other people in jail, gave him their food. And then when he got to his cell, key in hand, he took the key off of his wrist, closed his cell door, reached outside of his cell door, unlocked his door and hung the key up. Meaning that if you think that you're captive, God has literally given you a key. What would happen if what people thought was a jail, you made it your home? I can live anywhere. Like I can live. Oh, you put me in a jail cell. Oh, I'm going to make this 200 square feet work. Some of y'all are watching, watching right now in a house that's too small for you. What if you just begin to say, God, you know what? I love this little eight, 850, uh, 850 square feet. But God, my, my body is here, but my spirit is in 2,500. Next point. Somebody say next point. Genesis 40. Four through seven, we begin to get this story. Remember, the people that are in jail in this part are a part of the king's prison, which means that at some point in time, every person that is in Joseph's, um, every person that is in Joseph's vicinity was doing something for the king. Like, I, don't, don't miss it. He's supposed to be in jail. I don't know about you, but solid, like uh, right now, social distancing is a little bit tough for any person and you in the house with three, four people, a cat and a dog, right? And you got Uber Eats coming to the crib. But where you're supposed to be in prison, it's supposed to be solidary confinement. You in your door with your bed, your bunk and a toilet. But Joseph is in prison and he begins to cycle through all of these people that were serving the king. So what does that mean? That means that Joseph gets to learn the systems of Egypt in private. Those conversations that you're having with your boss when he just wants to have two seconds in, 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 in the boardroom, you shouldn't be telling all of your coworkers about those conversations because what he's doing is he's downloading to you strategies of where the business is going. You need to be like Joseph. I need to be in this spot where people don't know who I am, but they begin to tell me things. So Joseph meets two different people. He meets a man that was the cupbearer and the man that was the baker. Now, you might think that the, that the men in this time were, that was who was the most powerful was Potiphar. You might think that it was the Pharaoh's wife, but these two men are the most powerful when it comes to Egypt because they are the literal life source of food and drink to the king. They, they are the life source. The cup bearer, every time he brought the cup, can I get my bottle please, real quick, can you toss me that bottle? Every time that the cup bearer came to the king, his job wasn't just to come to him and to present him a drink. What the cupbearer did was he brought the drink to the king and he said, hold on, wait a minute. No, I didn't poison. Go ahead, big dog. The, bread, the baker, his job was to make food for him to bring to him. But the, but the baker had to taste the food before because they understood something. If I can get poison in his food or his drink, that'll kill the, that'll kill the country quicker than pillaging it with 50,000 men. So now Joseph is in captivity and these two men come to him and they, they basically acted out against Pharaoh and Pharaoh sends them to prison. But listen to this, because they end up having these dreams and they need Joseph to interpret them. Remember, for the first 15 years of Joseph's life, what did he do? Have dreams. But the thing about it is that he didn't have to interpret them because he had this thing called the Holy Spirit. He had this thing called favor. What favor does is that when God speaks to you, it acts as a filter so that you get exactly what God is trying to say to you. Oh, my God. So listen to this. Listen to this. Verse 4. It says, after they had been in custody for a while, right, the, the cupbearer and, and, and the, uh, the wino, <laughs> the cupbearer and the, and the baker, while they were in custody for a while, the king's cupbearer and baker, while being held in jail, both had a dream. On what? The same night. They both have a dream at the same time, each dream having its own meaning. When Joseph arrived in the morning, he noticed that they were feeling low. So he asked them, the two of the officials of Pharaoh, who had been thrown into jail with him. Time out. We have just been talking to them for the past 10 seconds about a cupbearer and a, and, a, and, a, and a baker. But Joseph calls them officials. 
So that means in your life, if all you think you're doing is baking bread or all you think you're doing is bringing a cup into the room, God doesn't see you as a cup bearer. God doesn't see you as a baker. He sees you as an official. Somebody type it out. I'm official. Like, I'm a fish. I'm official. I might only bring this cup in the room, but there ain't nobody within 100 miles that can do what I do like I do it. If you wait in tables, you better be the best table waiter ever and watch your tips grow. Because what people love isn't the fact that you're just happy. What they love is that there's something on your life in a place where you shouldn't be happy. You're beaming and it's called the glory of God. Listen to this. Listen to this. So he asked them, what's wrong? Why the long faces? Now they give him two different stories. The cupbearer tells them a story. He says, in my dream, there was a vine in front of me with three branches on it. It budded, blossomed, and the clusters ripened into grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's cup. Again, he was basically, he gets reinstated. Like, I used to hold his cup, and now I'm holding his cup in my dream. I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and gave the cup to Pharaoh. The baker says, well, I had a dream too. He says, I saw three wicker baskets on my head, and we need to teach a sermon on the power of three. The word of God, you, God uses the, word, the, the, the number three in so many different times. And I come from the 90s. That's Allen Iverson, number three, like he's the homie. But God uses the number three as a number of completion. There has to be a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then I come. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. The baker says, the top basket had assorted pastries from the bakery, and the birds were picking at them from the basket on my head. So Joseph listens to their story, and he doesn't respond from his flesh. I honestly believe that when he was listening to their story, that robe that was on him spiritually, he takes the favor of God off of him and he uses it as a filter to interpret what they're saying. When you go into the office, when you go into the business meeting, your family might be all over the place and they're asking you, you need to lead this family. Instead of trying to respond to the situation in your flesh, what if you responded to it from favor? Not from your flesh, but from the favor of God. The thing that covers you. What if you took it off and you held it in front of your situation and you looked at every situation through the favor that's on your life? We'll get there in a second. So Joseph begins to interpret their dreams. I hope this is good to you. Joseph says to the cupbearer, his interpretation is that the three branches signify three days. In three days, you're going to be made free and you're going to be reinstated as the cupbearer. Cupbearer says, all right, whatever. Like, who is this guy? Next, He interprets the baker's story. He says, this is my interpretation. But the word of God says that Joseph hesitates. How would Joseph know to hesitate on a story if not the Holy Spirit revealed to him something? I believe that in this time that we are in, that this virus is not something that's going to take out the world because God hasn't come yet. The earth earth isn't going to end because God has has the final say-so. But God also gives us a vote in it by making sure if my people aren't good, then the world can't, can't be destroyed. Joseph is given an interpretation from heaven so that he becomes hesitant to tell the, 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 the bread maker, I'm, I'm sorry, the baker, what, what his dream's all about. Listen to this. He says, the three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will take off your head, impale you on a post, and the birds will pick your bones clean. Now, the thing about this story that's really interesting is after Joseph gets done interpreting, everything happens the way that he said it. Both the cupbearer and the baker are taken from prison and they're brought before Pharaoh. In that moment, Pharaoh asks the cupbearer to bring him back his drink. Once he drinks of his drink in the Egyptian culture, whenever Pharaoh said something, it wasn't finished until he sipped something. What that meant is that how Jesus, I'm sorry, you remember how Potiphar ends up washing his hands before, yeah, Potiphar washes his hands before Jesus is, 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 is killed. Potiphar, if he was the Pharaoh, would have taken a drink, but he had to wash his hands to make him say, I'm done with this. What happens is, is that when the cupbearer brings the drink to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says to the baker, I'm going to kill you, once he takes a sip of the drink, he basically says, I'm finished. He says, I'm washing out my mouth of the words that I just said. I want to ask you a question. How many dead words are living in your mouth? How many things have you said that are dead and God is still listening to the last thing that's on your tongue? What happens is, is that if you use the word and you wash yourself with it, you begin to clean yourself of the bad things that you said about yourself. God, I can't be rich. God, I can't be favored. God, I can't be, I, I can't be healed of this sickness. God, my, my daughter can't be healed. My son can't be healed. They can't come home. And what God is trying to tell you is that I work off of principle. So I have to go off of what the last word was in your mouth. 
If Pharaoh would have killed the, and this is, this is history. You need to understand the word of God is not just solitude. It matches history. In the Egyptian culture, Pharaoh, if he said anything in the same sentence, that was what it was. So if I'm sitting here and there are 10 people here and I'm saying, you're going to die. The next person that I speak to before I wash my mouth out has to go to the same credence. So what he understood was, I need to sip this right quick because I just killed a man. And I don't want the death that's on my tongue to pass anywhere else. What are you speaking to with the terrible thing that you said last? God, this ain't going to work out. But God, we love this house. God says, wait a minute. But the last thing on your tongue was death. So this house that you want, you can't have it. We need to begin to wash ourselves in the word. Watch your tongue. Write it out. Watch your what? Watch your tongue. So listen to this. Once he's there, Joseph asks the cupbearer before he leaves. He says, hey, I just interpreted your dream. He says, don't forget about me. And this is the first part where Joseph should have repented. Because this is the first time in Joseph's life that he's leaning on man to make his provision. We think that it's like, hey, you know what? I just want to make sure that I'm covering all the bases. But when you have God and you begin to cover bases, you basically tell him that he's not good enough. Joseph leans on his own understanding. He leans on the cupbearer. He's like, hey, look what I did. Look what I can do. Now can you go talk to somebody? He looks like somebody that's begging for something that's supposed to be given to him. How silly do your children look when they beg for Christmas gifts that already have their name on it? Mommy, 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 is that my gift? Is that my gift? And you're like, oh my, oh my God, just open it. And what was supposed to be a joyous occasion the next morning now is just something out of tolerance. Just open it. Listen to this. Chapter 41, verse 37 through 45. Years pass, and Joseph is still in jail. But you never hear about Joseph suffering while he's in jail. Because remember who's cycling in and out of this jail. Kings, queens, magistrates, people that are at the right hand of Pharaoh. This seemed like a good idea to Pharaoh and his officials. Then Pharaoh said, oh, let me back up. Once, once Joseph is in jail, it takes a couple of years, and he is brought to the palace. Now, mind you, while Joseph is in jail, he doesn't know what's going on outside. While Joseph's been in jail, Pharaoh has been tossing and turning in bed. He's been getting these dreams, these visions that he can't interpret. It says that when he's in his royal area, when he's in the throne room, that there are tens, and like, like 10, 15, 20 different soothsayers, different witchcrafts and magicians that are trying to like mix different types of Kool-Aids and like trying to mix different types of dust and like they're setting frogs on fire, trying to make um, interpretation of his dream. But then what happens is, is that as Joseph is sitting there, I mean, I'm sorry, as Pharaoh is sitting there tossing and turning, Potiphar comes to, jo comes to Pharaoh and he says, well, there is this guy. I mean, he, he might be dead. It was a long time ago when I put him in jail. But this guy, I, I believe his name is Jacob Je Jehosaph Jehoshaphat, uh, Joseph. Yeah, there's this guy named Joseph. He helped me out. I mean, I mean, he might be too old, but, but maybe he can help us out. So they go get Joseph. Once they get Joseph, they bring him into Potiphar. I'm sorry, they bring him into the throne room. And Joseph gives interpretation to his dream. What Joseph ends up telling him is like, look, I don't know what you're talking about famine because I've been thriving in jail. <laughs> like, I've been in captivity and I'm eating good. Like I'm in captivity and I'm basically running everything underground. Like that's what the, the, the understanding of yeast is. Yeast is not loud. Salt doesn't scream when you put it in, in gumbo. It's quiet and it takes over everything. And then once you keep it in there cooking long enough and stewing long enough, everything tastes like the salt. And it never tells you anything. But when you taste it, what do you say? Wow, that was, that's kind of salty. That's what the kingdom influence is supposed to be. Go in silently, and when it's time for it to be revealed, God gets the glory first, then you will be exposed. So Joseph tells Pharaoh, he says, okay, listen, this is what, this is what your dreams are. Your dreams are basically saying that there's going to be 14 years. 14. There's going to be seven years of plenty, and there's going to be seven years of bad. Seven years of plenty seven years of famine. What Joseph does is he does what he's been doing his entire life. He looks at what Pharaoh is dealing with through the lens of his favor, the robe that God gave him. He looks at it and he tells Pharaoh, this is what you're going to do. In the seven years of plenty, what we're going to do is we're going to make the people pay a first fruit to us. The king, the king says, wait a minute, why would we have them pay us 
if they already have more than enough. Joseph says, do you want my provision from God? or Because you, like, you can send me back to jail. Because y'all still going to go through the seven years of famine. I'm going to be in jail chilling. Like, do you want my help or not? I want you to understand something. Once you get the favor of God on you, you start acting a little bit out of your character. You start being bold in places where you used to be timid. You start to actually stand up and sit a little bit closer to the front of the, to the, front of the classroom in places where you used to sit and duck in the back. Because what favor does is that it breeds confidence. It breeds this thing of like, I know exactly what I'm doing. Pharaoh ends up taking Joseph's advice and the people begin to give. But listen to this. Listen to this. Verse 37. I'm, I'm sorry. Genesis 41, 37. It says, this seemed like a good idea to Pharaoh and his officials. Then Pharaoh said to his officials, isn't this the man we need? Are we going to find anyone else who has what? God's spirit in him like this. Underline this next verse. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, you're the man for us. God has given you the inside story. No one is qualified as you in experience and wisdom. From now on, say, somebody say it out loud. From now on, from now on, you're in charge of my affairs. Okay, you take me from my family's house in the, in the desert. You take me into slavery. From slavery, I'm given to Potiphar, who's the second-hand man. From Potiphar, you take me to jail. From jail, you take me to the Pharaoh. And now I'm literally above the Pharaoh. Yes, sir. So I went from the countryside to being in the palace. But it was all a process. Somebody write it out. Say that it, it was all a process. He says, no one is as qualified as you are or experienced with wisdom. From now on, you're in charge of my affairs. Listen. All of my people will report to who? To you. Only as king will I be over you. Pharaoh subjugates himself to submit to the man of God. Not because of Joseph is a great guy, but because there's this thing called favor. There's this robe that Joseph never took off. So when people see you and they want to promote you, you think it's you. Like, oh, I'm so pretty. No, 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 no. They don't see you. What they see is this thing. They see God all over you. What we do is that we begin to think it's us. And when you do that, you simultaneously take off the favor of God. Now what you're doing is you're trying to make nothing out of nothing. But I believe in a God that makes a way out of no way. And anything and everything that I do, I can be great all by myself. But if I can get myself underneath this filter of favor and robe myself with the glory of God, anything and everything I touch turns to gold. We believe here at church that we, I'm sorry, we believe here at Ambassador's Worship Center in one of our culture codes that God, we believe in our faith, that we believe in the suddenlies of God and the answering of prayer. But when you have faith, Favor with God, the minute it comes out of your mouth, it becomes yes from God. The minute you think it, it becomes yes from God. But you got to do it from favor. Come on, somebody say it. Do it from favor. Do it from favor. Do it from favor. So Pharaoh commissioned Joseph. I'm putting you in charge of the entire country of Egypt. <laughs> you went from, in, from the jail cell. Now you're going to run the whole entire country. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring. Listen to this. Pharaoh takes off his ring. Only pharaohs have ever touched this ring. For thousands of years, the same bloodline, the same family, only the king has worn this ring. Listen to what he does. He takes it from his finger and does what? Slips it on Joseph's hand. Joseph has just now been taken from being the, from being the provisional lookout for the country to being the leader of the country. I believe that in a time such as now, that there are some people who are beginning to see what you're doing in your life. God, on top of your life, they're seeing the favor on your life. And they're going to begin to take off some of the responsibilities and give them to you. But the question will be, will you be poised and ready to act like you've been there before? Or are you going to look at the ring and see how pretty it is? I mean, this is a pretty ring. No, the ring has power. Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. I know you got brunch that you're making at the house. The eggs will be okay. You can go to the grocery store. Listen to this. He outfitted him in what? Robes. But Joseph doesn't fall in love with the king's robes because he was already robed in the beginning of the chapter. Like, your robe is nice, but I got one that has technicolor. My daddy gave me this robe, so you can give me your robe if you want to. I'll wear everything that you want me to wear. I'll wear the ring. I'll wear the crown. But as far as this robe goes, I ain't taking this off for nothing. 
and you can't put your robe on top of this one because then it's not, people can't see it. Well, your robe has blood on it and your robe is, is disgusting and it's dingy. Are you ever going to wash your, wash your robe? Why would I wash what God has blessed? Well, it stinks. The only reason why my robe stinks is because it smells like what God has brought me through. It, it smells like what God has delivered me through. Why would I wash off the glory of God? If I smell and I'm funky, it's because God is faithful in everything that he does. Your robe stinks. I know it does. But if you smelled it and if you knew the story of the favor of God on my life, you would realize why I can walk in the grocery store without a mask. You can understand why our business owners here in our church are keeping their doors open. You can understand why people that are in public policy and in public, uh, public relations are going to the unicameral in Lincoln and they're praying to God before they start to talk to the magistrate. It's because the favor of God is on my life. And if I take this off, everything in my life won't work. It won't work outside of this, Pharaoh. I can't put on your robe because this is the one that God gave me. I can't put your robe on. When you go to work, if you work at UNO, you don't put on their clothing and now you're a UNO employee. No, indeed. When you put, on that, when you put that on, you take off your robe off of the little, the, uh, off the hanger and you put that boy on and you say, I might be working at UNO, but I'm favored by the God. I'm favored by the Lord. I'm being hung up. I'm getting hung up. Let me move on. I'm getting hung up. He outfitted him in robes of the best linen. But Joseph already had the perfect linen on. <laughs> in this situation, best is not good enough. Oh, just, just listen. Just listen, just listen, just listen. And he put a gold chain around his neck. In the Egyptian culture, the gold chain isn't just something that's beautiful. It's not just something to look at. What it is, is it's a perfect circle that signifies to the people, for every hoop that's here, that's all of my responsibilities. For every hoop, you had to name a responsibility in, in the Egyptian culture. So he gives him a fat chain around his neck. So we have a lot of people that got bling around their neck, but they, don't, they ain't responsible for nothing. Okay, let me, let me move on. He put the second in command chariot at his disposal. And as he rode, people shouted, bravo. So now Joseph has totally surpassed the man that thought that he was giving him provision. Potiphar. Now the man that he was in the house serving, Potiphar is serving him. I want you to understand something. My fourth point is this. Rulers are looking for your interpretation of the times. In this virus, with what's going on in the world, with the calamity and what they call it a, a pandemic, an epidemic, whatever they want to call it, if the children of God, if the house of God acts like we don't have a robe on, then we are the ones with the problem, not the sick, not the lost. Because I want you to understand something. If you call yourself a son of God, if you have given your life to Christ and you believe in this thing called the kingdom mandate, you have this thing on top of you that allows you to interpret. And there are people, the rulers of this world, are looking for help. What would happen if we were able to come in from the church, not Ambassadors Worship Center, not the, not the organization, but the organism, the capital C Church? What if the church had a, had a, a literal cure to this virus, not besides prayer? Prayer does what it needs to do. But what if we were able to have it happen here? Do you think that the doors would burst open, that people would see God and that God would get the glory? What they are looking for is the interpretation. The reason why you don't get so frustrated at Christmas dinner, at Thanksgiving dinner with all your family sitting there throwing knives and potatoes at each other is because God has poised you to be the interpreter for your family. The reason at your job, why they're thinking about closing the doors, but your boss keeps trying to ask you, hey, what do you think? Hey, what do you think? Hey, what do you think? It's not that they're incompetent. They just know that your God knows something bigger than what they're thinking at the moment. The reason why people always ask you for money, for the love of money, it's not just because they want what you have. They know that when you give them a dollar, there's something different that comes on your dollar. There's this residue that's on what you give them. There's, there's, there's something. When they come to your house with their children and they go home, their children act a little bit different. Men of God, when he sees you love on your wife, he doesn't just see you love on her. He, he interprets it a little bit differently. When you are with your family as a unit, you could just literally be walking down the hallway, but when people see you, they see something different. I want you to understand something, that the same way that we interpret life through the favor of God, people are interpreting God through you as a filter. You are the interpretation of if God is good or not. So we cannot be frustrated. We cannot be running around here like a chicken with our head cut off. You have to be poised to prove to people that God is good. Let me move on. Let me move on. Let me move on. Oh, this is getting so good. If this is getting good, I need you to clap. I need you to clap in here. Like I need you to 
C-L-A-P. Jason Freeman, I know you're watching. C-L-A-P. I need you to put it in there. So listen to this. This is the end of the story. Verse 43, at the end, it says, underline this, Joseph was in charge of the entire country of Egypt. Still robed, still honoring his father, his father, Israel, not Potiphar, Israel, not Pharaoh, Israel, his father. The robe that his father gave him, he never took it off. Because the thing is this, he didn't put the robe on, therefore he couldn't take it off. It'd be, it would be disrespectful. Pharaoh told Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but no one in Egypt will make a single move without your stamp of approval. I want you to know something today that you're being watched. And the question is, who is the ruler? Is it your boss? Is it the matriarch or the patriarch in your family? Is it your neighbor? But I want you to understand something, that some people are literally watching you for your response in this time. They might be across the street and you think that I haven't seen anybody leave that house in four days. They're sitting in that window and they're watching how is your family making this work. You left your house three days, three times today. Where are you going? Listen to this, Genesis 41, 53 through 54. Egypt's seven good years came and their seven years of famine arrived. But listen, Egypt was the only country in the region with bread. Can I get my illustration really quick? I'm going to do this and I'm going to get out of your hair. Egypt was the only country with bread. So for seven years, they did what they were supposed to do. For seven years, the people of God, they went and got bread. They brought their bread to the storehouse. They took out their bread and they gave it to Joseph. Joseph, here's 10% of my bread. Then they left. Then the next day, another person came. They said, Joseph, here's 10% of my bread. And then over time, Egypt, in their good time, you sow in good time, they began to give bread. They began to give bread. But the only reason why these people were giving bread is because they knew if I give some bread, then somebody else will be able to eat. This famine is coming. Seven years of famine is coming. The man of God told us. But we need to give so that everybody can get. Write it down. You give so everyone can get. You give so everyone can, everyone can get. That's your job. Listen to this. When the famine spread throughout Egypt, the people called out in distress to Pharaoh. And he told the Egyptians, go to Joseph. They said, Pharaoh, we need food. He said, ah, go to Joseph. <laughs> do what he tells you to do. As the famine got worse all over the country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold emergency supplies to the Egyptians. The famine was very bad. Soon the whole world was coming to buy supplies from Joseph. The famine was bad all over. The last point is this. It's time, it's time for us to make some bread. It's bread making time. What Joseph understood is that if the people of Egypt, if they participate in the collection of bread, then God doesn't just bless Egypt. He blesses what they gave. <laughs> he, he says, Egypt, we're about to go through famine, but God's going to bless Egypt anyway because I'm in charge. But if you want to be blessed and if you want to make sure that the rest of the world can eat, what you need to do is out of what you're given, I need you to give me the first of it. So Joseph gets all the food from the people, but then there comes a time, remember the little red hen, where his family comes knocking at the door. Hey, we need some bread. Joseph gives them bread, and they don't know that this is the brother that they sold into slavery. Joseph puts his emotions aside, and he provides for the moment that he is in. Afterwards, his family comes. He reveals himself like, hey, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. And as the king at that time, Joseph could have ordered for his family to be destroyed. But you know what Joseph does? Joseph puts all of that away. He forgives them. He reconciles, and he begins to hand out bread. I know that you spat in my face, but here. <laughs> I, I know that you cursed my name. Here you go. I know that, that we, we used to play at the kindergarten and we're not friends anymore, but God has given me enough to give to you. So, 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 so there you go. What I want you to understand is that the reason why we're given bread, the reason why God prospers you, isn't just so that you can have your bread. Remember what we said. The little red hen couldn't have eaten that entire loaf of bread by herself, meaning that some of it had to spoil. 
What would have happened if she would have made the decision to get out of her feelings and feed the rest of the animals in spite of their participation in the process? What I want you to understand right now is that there was a conversation that you wanted to have with your family six, seven months ago about coming to church. There was a conversation that you wanted to have with your aunt or your uncle or with your husband or your wife about moving the family forward. And I want to make sure that you understand in the seven years of everything working well, it doesn't make sense to give because I have everything I need. But we're in seven years, not seven years, like symbolically, right? We are in a time where God has made it an opportunity for us to prove, are you going to give from your emotions or are you going to give from this thing called favor? As we end this series, as we end this series, I think I need to do this correctly. Because usually in the way that we schedule our, our sermons, pastor's the one that closes out our sermon. But I believe that in this moment that he's going to be able to pray a prayer that is all-encompassing. There are some of you right now, you have your checkbook in your hand, you have your wallet on the table. I want you to go and grab it. Go and grab it. Go and grab it. There's some of you that have a sick child. Bring that child into the room. There are some of you that you have a photo of a family member that's going through something. Pick up that photo and put it in front of you. I'm going to give you some time to do it. I'm going to give you some time to do it. I, grab, like, grab it. What Joseph did once he received all of the grain, all of the bread from the people of Egypt, it says in the Message Bible that he took the storehouses and he took a piece from each one of them and he took them and he raised them to God. Not in, the de not, not in Egypt. It said that he took the plate and he went to the desert where his family was from. He took the plate with all of the bread on it, everything that had been given to him, and he raised it before God. And he said, God, I know I'm blessed, but you said, if I give you the first of what's given to me, then it's blessed. And God, I got some people that gave me every, some of them gave me everything that they have. The one way that you can prove that you're God isn't by making me look better, but it's by you being glorified by me giving.